This show discusses serious and often disturbing content. Listener discretion is advised. What dost thou want? Wouldst thou like the taste of butter? A pretty dress? Wouldst thou like to live deliciously? The goat of Mendes. The devil himself. How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? How to get burned? I don't know! In a year where senile, sundowning game show hosts (laughs) ruled America. I think that's the cold open. (laughs) Yeah, this is is now an election podcast. (laughs) And with that... Hi, and welcome to What's Wrong With Us, a podcast that asks, can I have extra butter on this popcorn? <laughs> I'm Jazz. I'm James. I'm also James. And I'm Justin. What? <laughs> yes, that's right. Unfortunately, Lizzie is off traipsing through the woods. Having been abducted by an old crone. Correct. We miss um, you, Lizzie. One day, please, please send smoke signals if you're okay. Please come home. So tonight we're inviting. She's fine. Just so we're clear, she's fine. She's fine. We think. Pretty sure. <laughs> so tonight we've invited our good friend and amazing artist Justin um, from his illustration. Justin Divine illustrates. Is that right, Justin? And then um, one we of should the let creator- Justin plug his plug. I'm gonna let Justin <laughs> introduce himself. Justin, would you like to introduce yourself? We've invited you on the show, but you won't actually be able to talk yeah, no. the entire time. You will speak only when spoken to. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, yeah, my name's Justin Devine. Uh, I'm a folk horror enthusiast, and I have done all the illustration work for this podcast. And also, I like these guys what? a lot. <laughs> Aw. Hey, Aww, we like you too. Heck yeah. Well, for season two, we are going to take a deep dive into folk horror. Yeah, what's Woo! folk horror, Jazz? Well, this subgenre is defined by themes of the occult, competitions of new and old order, and a constant impending sense of otherworldly doom. Oh, and the presence so, of farm animals. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, those. Presence of farm animals, um, <laughs> random wind gusts, um, <laughs> rustling leaves. Yes. We're going to have a lot to, <laughs> to break down on that. So to kick off the season, we're going to be talking about Robert Eggers' 2015 film, The Witch. A New England folktale. The Vivitch. <laughs> Don't try to Google it. The v- uh, Thomason, played by Anya Taylor-Joy and her family, are exiled from the Pilgrim settlement in 1630 as a result of her father's religious insolence, played Fuck. by Ralph Innocent. Fucking dad. Not long into their homesteading, the family becomes threatened by the dangers in the woods and their own sinful hearts. So what'd you guys think? Um, I'm... Today, I'm hoping we can talk about some rules of folk horror, maybe get into the function of religion, and, you know, did, did this fucking happen? Uh, but <laughs> let's jump in with some highs and lows. I think the highs are most of the movie. <laughs> <laughs> most of the movie is kind of a high. Um, I unabashedly love this movie. I've seen it a million fucking times. It was really great to watch it again for this podcast. Um, the writing is one of the high points for sure. 
Um, I love the dialect that he gives all the characters. I love that um, so much of it is taken from historical sources. I love um, the attention to detail in both the writing and in the production design. Um, We were talking a little bit before recording about um, Robert Eggers' background. And I believe, Justin, you brought up that he came up through production design and costuming and whatnot. Is that correct? Um, That totally scans with how he um, writes and composes a scene in these movies. Um, These movies being The Witch and The Lighthouse. Every detail seems like it's intentional. Um, And even in the writing, like, you know, when um, Caleb asks William where he got the rabbit traps from, he could have just said, you know, some traders that were passing through. But no, he says, like... um, Indian Tom and old someone and it's like oh like you instantly form a picture in your mind about what those two (laughs) people look like right and like who they who they are and where their places in this world and the movie is full of things like that like I traded a silver cup like not just something from your not like something your mother loves not not this not that not the other um, but a specific thing and every part of the movie makes you believe that those things are intentional. Yeah, when you uh back when you were doing the aliens episode or excuse me, alien episode. <laughs> no, there was some tension around that. Um part of part of that discussion was uh how lived in that world felt. Um and I think yeah. that this in a very different way, you know, a non sci fi sort of way, feels very lived in. Um it doesn't just feel like people in, you know, colonial clothing. It looks like they live in those fucking clothes. Like yeah, it's it it's so well realized and so fleshed out the world that they're occupying. Like it's not just a random part of New England. It is specific. It has a sense of place and time and it fucking totally shows. Yeah, it helps that like we get into this historical piece so we know like where it's supposed to be, but at the same time it has that component of world building that I really like, which is like the submersive world building. We're just going to do it. Yeah. I'm not going to have exposition. It's one, It was one of the reasons I really liked Mad Max Fury Road. Like, they took no time to tell you what was happening. Sure. Or how, like, the, the social constructs worked in this world. You were just put in it. And and this movie does a really good job with that. Like, you you walk into the heresy trial. Right. And you're just like, cool. Yep. We're, we're in it to win it. I know yeah. what's going on here. I And even if I don't know about heresy trials, like, I can just see it. And be like, these people are. Yeah, here's the origin story. And now here's your movie. Like, we're not waiting around. It's just, yeah, this movie is awesome for all of the reasons listed above. Mm-hmm. You know, cinematography is, is amazing. Like, just how creepy intense the whole movie is. Some of those shots, dude, are so fucking good. It's yeah. like the shot after, like, during the climax of the movie with Kate at, while she's breastfeeding and then it like cuts away. To the raven sitting on her lap, it's fucking crazy. Yeah. Um. The like slow motion, um, like uh, zoom while from Caleb's perspective as he's watching walking up to the witch's cottage. Like, there's um, what else? The the shot where after they're like locked up or boarded into the uh stable, and it's the kids with Black Phillip in the foreground looking creepy as fuck. So good. I think my only like non-low, because it, it's like a, a fake low. Sure. Is um, So I usually have problems with anything that has an accent. 
Like, <laughs> I cannot watch the Great British Bake Off. That show is impossible. <laughs> I don't know what she's saying. And even with subtitles on, I don't know what she's saying. But <laughs> but for this movie, I, I did. I did know what they were saying. And I only watched it with subtitles this very last time. And I think we've watched it over a dozen times. And only in the final like rewatching for this recording did I want to like actually see all the words and know what all the words were. And that was kind of cool because all the the mumble bits in Caleb's possession are are very clearly laid out on the screen. Yeah. But yeah, so it's kind of like a fake low where they had a really thick dialect, but it was all so enunciated well and spoken in a speed and cadence that was really easy to follow. Well, that's what I was going to say, too, is like not just an accent, but... I mean, practically speaking, a completely different language due to the, you know, period authentic dialect and everything like for you to still be like good with that. That's that's impressive. It took me like the first time I watched this, it took me a second, but I appreciate the attention to detail. And it's, you know, ultimately was another high. Yeah. Justin, got any highs, lows over there? Uh, well, I would say is my high, probably uh, Anya Taylor-Joy. I think that she is incredible. Um, I think her performance is great. Um, and I just also, I'm so captivated by her face as are obviously Mm. the filmmakers because they keep coming (laughs) back to it again and again and again. I I hadn't realized until this last time watching how many shots there are that are just centered on her face. And I went through and counted, Mm. I think there are eight instances of that shot, uh, basically, which um, just like mm-hmm. a tight close-up of her face, punctuating yeah, like, through really... the movie. Um, you can almost yeah. like see them as like chapter headings. Hmm. Like this is <laughs> I like interesting. That. I like this is what her like face that. looks like to indicate what this part is going to be. <laughs> <laughs> From the first well, very opening shot of her in like full Calvinist like garb to the last yeah, yeah, shot yeah. with her hair down, the firelight and blood and everything. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's that's right. that shot that last, rules. That last shot. I so since you brought that up, uh the climax of the movie, I got lost on um some fucking movie message board where they were going back and forth about what happens to Jonas and Mercy. What do you guys think happens to Jonas and Mercy? Cuz I have a theory. <laughs> I literally don't care cuz they are assholes. Jonas and Mercy are assholes, true. Yes. I don't know. I don't really have a theory, I guess. I just, Fair enough. You know. I have wondered. They get witched away. Yeah, I think, I think they just get taken uh, back to the cabin in the woods to be made into baby paste. Yeah, oh, I, yeah. That, that's kind of what I'm getting at, is that like <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the bonfire that they're dancing around is the bodies of Jonas and Mercy. Oh, some roasted kids? Like, they're well, literally like dancing around the flaming corpses of children. Like, because they're witches, and that's what you do. I do have one question about that theory, though, because they were very concerned about baby Sam and Caleb, because for whatever reason, those two children were not baptized, but they never indicated that Jonah and Mercy were not baptized. They weren't. They're younger than Caleb and but Caleb it seems wasn't baptized. Like maybe yeah. they, they didn't seem to make any sort of fuss about it. So that made me wonder, like, if they were. I mean, that's fair. And then I think you in the rules that I vibed off of this movie, like they were preying on the souls that could be stolen because they weren't attributed to God and any other soul had to be given away the way um, Thomason cites the book. And so I think the kids are just witches. Um, or the kids gave their souls away while they were yeah. holding covenant with Black Philip. 
Exactly. Yeah. Took yeah, the words yeah, right totally. out of my mouth. Like the because right because they have that ongoing relationship with Black Philip. They oh, jump friends. around like singing songs about they know Black Philip. Yeah, they know his theme song. Yeah, right. It's so good. Um, so regardless of whether or not they're witches, they're definitely thralls, right? Like they're definitely enthralled by like <laughs> um the fucking he goat. Um, <laughs> well, so yes. regardless of whether or not they're witches, they're also assholes. Yeah, <laughs> hell yeah. Jonas and Mercy assholes. are fucking assholes. Yo, fuck those kids. <laughs> yeah, for they're real though. Worst. You know why I didn't have a theory about them? Because fuck those kids. Because yeah. fuck them kids. <laughs> Fucking twins. There's a low for you. Like, (laughs) I'm not saying that they weren't effective. Like, they were effective within the context of the movie. But also, fuck those kids. They were insufferable. Fuck those kids. You know what? I think the only movie kid I have ever hated more than Jonah and Mercy is the fucking kid from the Babadook. Because I just want to hit that kid. Mm. That's fair. And I also want to hit Jonah and Mercy. Like, I'm not sure which which kid I, I hate more. So, Jonas and Mercy or Ollie? Yeah, I who's wanna, worse, oh, Ollie wanna... from Game of Thrones or Jonas and Mercy? Well, I was gonna go. For Let the us even, know in the comments. I was gonna go for the even more <laughs> obvious one, which is Joffrey. Oh yeah, Joffrey. I mean, I mean, Joffrey gets his pretty bad. I mean, sure, but you still hate that kid. You still hate that kid. Still, but you, you fuck can't, that kid. You can't hate that kid so much because his the actor that plays him is such a mensch. You know, <laughs> Just like. Every- Line them up in a circle around you, get a bag of pennies, and just fucking <laughs> aim for the teeth. This parody. We've parody. Never, we've never We're not this. talking about beating up children. This isn't parody. A thing we've ever this done is a before, joke. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. But do you advocate turning them into paste for flying? I yes. I'd say that's an unequivocal yes. I, I like... mean, witches need that. They they need that sweet sweet yeah. baby paste. My yeah. favorite part about like. Because uh, it's so, so we for a second thought we could show this movie to our nephew, and then we Ooh, no. screened it because we hadn't seen it for you know maybe a year or so. And then we're like, yeah, we'll show it to our fourth grader nephew. This would be great. And then we watched it real quick. The night before, and we're like, oh yeah, never mind. Yeah, JK. no, never mind. But for as subtle as a lot of the violence is, like mashing up a baby in a mortar and pestle, which they don't actually really show it Pretty happening. unsettle. But my yeah. favorite part <laughs> is the details in it, and it's the details that make it so unsettling, like the little fat globules that are like in the blood paste. Tell me more about how closely you watched that scene. <laughs> I, I am the, the sole demographic for true crime. <laughs> um, but so I think this starts to get a little bit into, you know, kind of what makes this a folk horror movie. Sure. Rather than just like a scary movie. Um, and so one of the things I pick up on is is a lot to do with those details to build atmosphere. Because you really need to feel like you're not somewhere familiar. And if we think about other folk horror films, like it takes us to different islands and isles and faraway woodsy places. And you, you feel very isolated. Um, and I know for this film, um, Robert Eggers is in an interview, he's quoted as saying they were casting for gloomy weather and so they Hell had yeah. gone all around and tried to find somewhere with you know predictable gloomy weather and unfortunately um in ontario it was like sunny the entire time they were there um but they cool. since they were like thanks for sh- nothing canada, <laughs> canada. <laughs> but since they were shooting outside they had to wait like literally sit around on set and wait for it to get overcast and so like what what are those other elements do you think that pull in those ideas of B 
being immersed in folk horror? I think it's uh, isolation. I think it is whether you're isolated with, you know, yourself or a small group of people or like in The Wicker Man where you're a modern man isolated in a um, kind of pre-modern community. Isolation is a big part of it. I think um, nature and the natural world. So like, especially as it relates to things that are uh, are occult. So like, if you think about the Blair Witch, I think is a bit of a folk horror movie. And part of that, what makes it a folk horror movie is the setting in the woods and the wooden fetishes hanging up all over the place. And Tawanis. <clears throat> they are called Tawanis. Fuck yeah. The, it's not a real word. Said. It's just what they're called. Sure. Got it. I, was <laughs> I too can make up words. <laughs> <laughs> also the name of the Asian Pacific Islander um, study club at UC Santa Cruz. Sure. Why not? Exact same acronym. Gosh, the things you learn on this podcast. <laughs> that's where you come. You come to learn. You come here to learn. Thank you, listener. But, but part of that isolation, though, I feel like also has to do with, right, because it's scary to be alone in a cabin by yourself, but I wouldn't call that a, a folk horror. But I think it's part of the isolation and being confronted with a culture or a reality that is oppositional to your own. Yeah, I, th- I think like the isolated society has more to do with the cult, you know, the, the folk horror ethos than does like personal isolation. Um, you know, it's 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 the old beliefs that are that are practiced off on this island or in these woods. You know, it's it's the old god that's been forgotten. Yeah, yeah. I think I absolutely agree. I think more to clarify my point a little bit more. I think I think it's like less about isolation in general and more about isolation in a natural setting. That it's like in it's and it's like relating to talking about old gods, but like primal fears. So like fear of the woods or, you know, like don't go into the woods at night and sort of like those kinds of like primal things. And I, but I think the warning comes from don't go in the woods because there's people who live there who will do you harm. Well, it's it's called folk horror because it's, you know, based on folklore, right? Like, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, these stories were, were told once upon a time. And now here we are. We're, we're reliving these fears that, you know, maybe were told to us as kids or, you know, that our grandparents grew up with, like the reasons behind why we're afraid of the woods or whatever. Right, mm-hmm. right. You know, folk horror, I think, deals with that. I mean, to get a little academic-y, nerdy, so folk horror... On this podcast? What? Heaven forfend. F- folk horror, the term was coined um, in a documentary in, when was that, in the 70s? What? No. Mark Gatiss's documentary? Yeah. When was that documentary? Anyways. It, early 2000s. Well, gonna edit that in, right? <laughs> there. Look well, in, uh, like, Piers Haggard said like when he was talking about making blood on satan's claw he's like oh, i'm trying to make a folk horror film but he wasn't talking about it as a genre he was right. just trying to like describe like what his thought process was mm-hmm. and it wasn't until like 2010 2011 when that was actually like codified right and now people have been going back and they're like oh all right well if you take you know a few of these like examples from the 70s as like your prototypical folk horror movies, you take, you know, uh, Wicker Man, you take Blood on Satan's Claw, you take Witchfinder General, and then apply yeah. those thoughts to things that are being made now. Uh, people started reverse engineering what the folk horror, like, genre is. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's really important. And and I think in the modern, because a lot of what we talk about 
right on the show is kind of where where our interpretations of these movies come from based on our lived experiences and our personal lived fears. And sure. I think with folk horror, like the fear really is like society pushing up against us. And, and I, I think it's easy enough to see like the popularity of folk horror as the tumultuous political situation has been happening in this country in the last, you know, How several wrong. years. I think it's also telling that the genre originated in the 70s. Right. Where it's another time of, especially in England, especially yeah. in uh, uh, America, that's a time of great political change. And like in England, you're like looking at, you know, a lot of like terrible things happening. And it's kind of a response to that. Yeah. And in the US, we're looking at a lot of movement around like the hippie culture and different new ideas that seem, you know, violent and scary and a lot of like panic around drug use and mm-hmm. a lot of panic around sexual activity. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we see these kind of like liberal ideas of like sex and drugs in the representation of our adversaries in folk horror. Sure. And hugely and trying to examine them by saying, okay, so I'm scared of the fucking Manson family. So let me pretend you know, the Manson family is the Horga. And, you know, let's kind of play that out. I'm not saying that's what he did, but, you know, that kind of metaphor line. Is Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a full horror movie? No. <laughs> fucking no. I hate that movie so much. Sorry. <laughs> I only said that to. Yeah, we only. <laughs> yeah, James, James really, knows how to elicit a reaction. I really Why don't you not just like not hold movie? back and tell us what you really think? I'm asking so the hard hitting questions boring. here, guys. It was so boring. I watched it on a plane and it was boring. Oh, man. We could go on for a long time about we don't the Oscars and we don't have the time. Those we don't. We'll, we'll look for the What's Wrong With Us pod Oscar special coming to a Patreon feed near you. Spoiler alert. <laughs> a couple of us already have gone on tirades on our Instagram stories about the Oscars. So yeah. what up? Yeah, what up? Just do an, an Oscars like Dreamcast where we just gave every award to Midsummer. <laughs> yeah, right. Yes. Accurate. And we retroactively give Tony Collette best actress for hereditary. Yeah. <laughs> I I think we can just like throw away all of Hollywood and just only have A24 now. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm sure A24 I mean, would love that. I mean <laughs> And this was not an If A24, A24 movie, was Warner was Brothers, I'm sure they'd be excited. And in what ways So I don't know if the lighthouse is folk horror. Oh, I absolutely think it is. Yeah. Okay. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's you know, mermaids and, mermaids. you know, yeah, the fear of the sea and mm-hmm. okay. fear of isolation. Fear again. of isolation. Yeah. They're locked on a fucking island yeah. in the middle of a nor'easter. With like, an opposing know. force. An, yeah. A nor'easter. And even going, or uh, the opposing force is fucking Triton with his <laughs> yeah. crown of cockle shells. Exactly. And his you know. slimy tentacle body. The, the folklore <laughs> is, you know, a different culture maybe than some of the other movies that we're going to talk about. But it's still, you know, it's it's loosely based on like Greek mythology and stuff like that, yeah, you yeah, know. That's fair. Um, yeah. which or is just see, like, you know, I, I can, you know, like fucking, what am I trying to say? Or it's just based on fucking sailors telling stories about, you know, sea monsters and shit like that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Like how whales became krakens. Yeah. Yeah, and I, and I 
Justin, do you have an opinion on C? On well, I, not not about that per se. I was just thinking that uh, the best description that I heard about the lighthouse was that it's about the uh, existential terror around having a roommate. (laughs) (laughs) Wash your dishes! You like me lobster, don't you? I don't want to get drunk every night. About the existential terror of living with your family. Yeah, (laughs) for real, though. (laughs) Sunday, we have to do chores. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, Willem Dafoe is a national treasure and must be protected at all costs. But so I like this idea of folk horror and the stories we tell around folk horror. And so they have to be folklore and, you know, made up or true folklore for them to become folk horror. And got to be on some Aaron Mankey shit. (laughs) Aaron Mankey, we are the monsters. Uh, But so this movie does that for me, because when I watched this movie, I remember leaving and being like growing up in Massachusetts, where you read the crucible in fourth, sixth and senior year. Um, and you know, whatever you just, you just know all about that forever. And I I left the theater feeling the story was so familiar and feeling like it was every story I'd ever heard growing up in Massachusetts and everything I believed about the woods outside my house when I was a little kid. And it was just so straightforward. It's like, yep, I'm not even going to question that. Like it happened. The whole thing was, you know, there was a witch because you live in Massachusetts and witches will eat you. End of movie. Good job. <laughs> but it sounded like maybe you guys had heard something else. Well, I think that, uh, you know, it's it's certainly presented as though it is a literal thing that's happening. And I think that they filmmakers want you to think of it as being literal. Um, but Robert because Eric they did give literal. a few outs when, uh, when he was making this movie. Like, little hints that say, suggest, like, oh, maybe that this really is, like, uh, a figment to their imagination. Maybe this is a hallucination because they're starving. Um, and when I was researching, like, trivia about this movie, someone had pointed out that the blight on their corn, when they when you look at their blighted crops, um, is actually, they have ergot growing on the corn, which was the, uh, the you know, basis for LSD. So it's possible that... The, what they're experiencing is like a hallucinogenic like trip from this tainted corn that they're growing. Totally. That's also something ergot is um, something that they've historically blamed. Ergot rye poisoning is what they've blamed the Salem witch trials on. And like a lot of like these That's kind of bullshit. like um, uh, s- these mass kind of hysterical events in the early colonial period right like um you'll find some sort of like edgy edgelord hits historians that are like yo man everyone was just fucking high um <laughs> and it's interesting to hear that because it's also you can also you know since he's talking about all kinds of other folklore and throwing other kind of images in why not toss that in there right sure i i like that you bring up mass hysteria a little bit because i look oh do up. you i do um, so we we still use that term. It's actually now called mass psychogenic illness Yo. or yeah, or collective stress response. Neither mm-hmm. of those had as good of a ring to it in I Ghostbusters. Know. No, oh. dogs and cats <laughs> living together. That's but the so one. the symptoms are you guys are gonna really like this: shortness of breath, anxiety, fainting, nervousness, insomnia, irritability agitation and sexual forwardness. Mm. 
I mean, just on a regular basis, I have a lot of those. <laughs> well, and I like that you say that, like, the... So the one th- uh, thing we really do learn in Massachusetts, too, about the Salem Witch Trials is it it was not a psychosis. It was not anything interesting. It was just a good old-fashioned land grab sh- shrouded in shitty politics. So politics. Politics. Yeah, it checks out. So the mass hysteria stuff is kind of interesting, especially if you start thinking about... We, we've talked about religion a lot on this podcast. What? I don't... This this podcast? This Never podcast here? Justin, are you Catholic? We need a Catholic. No, I'm sorry. Oh. He's a heathen. <laughs> Lizzie, come back. Spiritually. Spiritually. Lizzie's um, sending the Catholic vibes. I was going to say, like, what an episode for Lizzie to be abducted by <laughs> witches for. This you. is like prime Lizzie material right here. But... <laughs> So I'm interested right now, right? Because this movie comes out at a time where there is this huge rise of like the generation Instagram witch. And there's all these like sure. fucking white girls being like, I'm a witch. I have candles and shit and crystals. I put crystals in my boob. Um, and uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> just, I, know, I know a couple of those girls. Yeah. Uh, that was not taken from anything real that I've <laughs> experienced. I mean, we just had a witch running for president. You're right. Orb gang. Orb gang. True. But so it's it's this kind of interesting thing because this movie has been touted a little bit as like a feminist movie. Yeah. Anya Taylor-Joy is definitely the one of the people propagating that too. her whole thing. I think she's been asked in a couple of interviews um, then answered that, you know, it's a happy ending for Thomason. Thomason is liberated by you know her experience and she is literally know. empowered quite yeah. literally yeah <laughs> she's I, actually s- flying at the end of the movie yeah, and it say. only cost her the lives of her brothers and sisters and family yeah who needed them they fucking sucked they sucked you're right fuck them this movie was such a good new england folktale that the mother <laughs> acted and looked like my stepmother <laughs> <laughs> Also, like, let's we've we've talked a lot about um, Jonas and Mercy and Anya Taylor Joy, but shout outs to Kate Dickey and Ralph Innocent for absolutely murdering the fucking entire game as the parents. Like, they are they great. so fucking good. Like Ralph Innocent, I want him to narrate every folk horror thing ever at this point. <laughs> Because that guy gives Tom Waits a run for his money in the like gravelly ass voice department. And Kate Dickey, it just goes from like zero to shrew so fucking fast. And you know, she's, she's so good. She's starting to get typecast now, though. Like, Is she? I mean, just every movie show she's in, she's got to be breastfeeding someone. Yeah, she's got to be breastfeeding really? a raven. Well, in she every was, movie she's in, she's my I mean, stepmom. No, I mean, <laughs> Game of Thrones, you know, just breastfeeding a seven year old. I don't remember her in Game she of Thrones. She was uh, Catelyn's sister. Oh, you're right. Lady Aaron. I totally forgot Lady about Aaron, that. Yeah, she was Liza. Lady Aaron. Yeah, totally. Oh, wow. Yep. Also, Ralph Innocent, also in Game of Thrones. I mean, I think they every actor together. of any prominence from Northern England was oh, in Game yes. of Thrones at one point. Definitely. Right? Like, 100%. Not even all of them were from the North. They just kind of, like, threw him in there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who's Ralph, Ralph Innocent in Game of Thrones? He, he, was, in, he was one of the Ironborn. He's oh, that the guy, stands to reason. Yeah. The, when, when the Ironborn t- take Winterfell, 
Mm. Theon gives He's a speech. Dagmar, right? Dagmar Clefjaw. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, Word. He knocks out Theon uh, after he gives his rousing speech, and he's like, all right, boys, let's go home. Fuck yeah. Good job, Ralph Innocent. We all wanted to knock out Theon. Yeah. Hey, let's talk like that. Let's just, you know, Game of Thrones. Shout outs to like a way to end a series correctly. (laughs) Just such a good job sticking the landing on that one. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, yeah. Are the Greyjoys the most folk horror house? Oh, easily. (laughs) Like by a mile. Is that the octopus house? Yeah. Yes. Yes. I only played the board game. We do not so. Yeah, right? Come on. They're the most edgelord of houses, oh, that's yeah. for sure. Like, what um, does Dead May Never Die, guys? Come on. Like, it's definitely the most hot topic of houses. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we've got Krakens and yeah. we just like drown ourselves. I'm fucking edgy, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, ship, I'm down Dad. here in Sunspear, chilling. In the sun with all of the tan ladies and eating grapes and my Mediterranean diet. And y'all are just killing each other up there. Yo, Dorner Highgarden. Unbent, unbroken motherfuckers. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. All right. So. Oh, yeah. Just a Game of Thrones tangent for you. That's that's. That's what you come to this podcast for. That's going to be excised and put somewhere else, probably. <laughs> I don't know, man. I liked it. I'm here for it. We've gone on weirder sidelines. We really have. I mean, yeah, it's true. We're getting to that par- portion of the podcast. Did you have something coherent to add, Jazz? Or would you like us to just be hooting dickholes? <laughs> no. So some of the things I think are interesting is right now we're having this big rise of like social media, white girl witches. Yeah. And, and trying to A... Instagram loves a witch. They do. They really do. You can buy like Book of Shadows coloring books. Look at me. I have tarot cards. That means I'm witchy and special. I I use the tarot card Facebook filter, whatever. Which tarot card are you? I don't know. Uh, The upside down world. And that was like, did not bode well for this podcast. Uh, I don't know what any of that means. (laughs) Good deal. But so I don't think it's coincidental that this movie in particular, is coming out at this time. I think there's a lot of feelings about the role of women and and natural and unnatural, you know, quote unquote, ways of participating in society and the things to be scared of. And if we use this kind of idea as the scary things in the woods as, you know, walking away from patriarchy and into not patriarchy. Well, yeah, that's you know historically what being a witch meant right right you just you weren't the subservient wife that your husband wanted right you had thoughts you had thoughts and feelings burn her (laughs) (laughs) what and so like uh, this kind of interesting idea of of making sense of a world against us Mm -hmm. but if you want to have like a big juxtaposition like that a huge good also needs a huge evil and I'm I'm thinking about really specifically getting caught up in that shit Um, because so there's a part in the film where Kate starts telling the story about her childhood and that rapture she felt when she was like close to God you know in in a I think it was in a dream and then after she had Caleb that went away right or after she had Sam I guess that went away and so it feels like Today, right, there's a lot of young women like clawing to feel, you know, that big love again. 
and with a Hmm. record number of millennials like moving away from religion and trying to claw at some other form of spirituality. Um, But if we're coming from a background of a big good, you know, falling down into a big evil. I want to talk about Teal Swan. That's what I want to talk about. All I really wanted to talk about was uh, Stevie Nicks, circa 1975, oh, yeah, let's that too. singing Rhiannon. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just, just search the video, guys. <laughs> yeah, just search it. It's worth it. All right. Uh, I want to talk about cults. Cults. Oh god. Beers. I need a fucking beer. Beer me. Hey, Justin did it too. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I one of the things I was thinking about really specifically when I was. Oh, wait, stop. I realized what I wanted to say Damn about it, James. women and okay. witches. Oh, do you, you want to the authority them? on women? Yeah, shut up and let me talk about women. <laughs> Are you going to solve all my problems yeah, and write my thesis you, papers for me? God, if you'd let me. <laughs> uh, sexism is funny, everyone. Um, Sounds like we've got to burn someone at the stake now. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Oh, boy. Good Lord. Um, okay. <laughs> that's all my sexual forwardness. Yeah. Is, you, is your yeah. womb wandering again? Oh, um, <laughs> the, uh, the You were talking about social media witches. Yeah. And one thing um, that occurs to me when we think about that kind of phenomenon is people that are powerless and expressing, like trying to express power and trying to um, give meaning to things when they have no ability to really affect meaningful change in the world around them. Yes, yes, yes. This is where I'm going. And so you're talking about like, People that, you know, it's like during the whole like Me Too movement and doing a whole lot of other kind of like feminist kind of waves, you have these people that are, you know, unable to really, you know, express like change, like materially change the world around them instantly. And so they're using these kind of languages, whether it's tarot, whether it's, you know, crystals or whatever the fuck, um, where they would to kind of express these irrational um, things like these, whether they're emotions or um, irrational or intangible. Yeah. I I mean, irrational in the sense that it is not patriarchal sense of my wound. Yeah. I mean, irrational in the sense that everything a man says is rational. In the sense that I am on Um, what I no, What I actually mean is (laughs) irrational in the sense that you are dealing with things that are inherently not rational. Mm -hmm. You're dealing with emotions. You're dealing with feelings, with things that can't be quantified easily. And so it's interesting to look at to look at social media witchery in that sense because there's just a lot of, there's a, I feel like there's a lot of that energy caught up in it. Yeah, and and I think that's exactly what I'm I'm kind of thinking of because there is a lot of feeling helpless and feeling like the system you're existing in is not serving you and is not working. Yeah. And trying to find an expression of power outside of that. And so then in our narratives of folk horror, it's usually people who are maybe actually are comfortable (laughs) in their situation being pushed into the opposite perspective when they weren't ready for it. 
Um, and then, you know, we get like Midsommar where they get pushed into it. And then Danny's like, yeah, no, I go here. This is great. Yeah, no, Midsommar is so good for that. And I think in Only a very... somebody would talk about that movie. Huh. <laughs> and so I'm going to tie it back to the witch. Tie it back to the witch. By Bring saying, there is a point in the movie where Kate talks about her childhood and how she's like searching for God. And all through the movie, she's having these these frantic prayer sessions. Yeah, she is. And I started wondering, who is she praying to? Is she so far from her own God and so far from her own, you know, culture and norms that now she's just accidentally praying to the witches in the woods? Hmm, like... Maybe she, I could see her inadvertently doing that, but she seems like such a pious person and somebody who's so godly to the point where she's the one who throws Thomason out of the house. Yeah. She's the one who's the... I guess who's hearing her prayers. Yeah. Is she I'm, too far from her God? Aren't we well, all far from God? I mean, God is dead, so... Yeah. <laughs> well, no, this is, the, this is the 1600s. God doesn't die until the 19th century. Oh, that's true. Yeah, it was in... Um, Phase three of mm-hmm. phase the, three the of God's, Crisis on Infinite Earths, the God what? Cinematic Universe. Yeah, it was the, <laughs> the phase three of the God Cinematic Universe. Yeah, totally. Do you feel what? I feel like I need Lizzie. This isn't working. I like you. Let's talk <laughs> yeah. about puppets. All right. Well, if cults don't matter, cults cults totally matter. Something I, that really does matter is. Would you like to live deliciously? A hundred fucking goat. Oh yeah. Live no. deliciously. Shitty 1600s family. Um, flying? Yeah. I think we're all yeah. on Team Delicious. Justin, are you on Team Delicious? Oh, absolutely. Um, and like, I feel like one of the things that is maybe different about this batch of the like cult, you know, the, the folk horror uh, resurgence is that when you think about things like this or Midsummer, like at the end, you have the central characters finding community rather than yeah. being cast out by it, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. Or like, sacrificed for all, it. The, yeah. If the old power structures are falling apart and they find solace in new power structures, basically. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, hugely. Um, in And I think, like, the lesson, even more so than finding solace in new power structures is finding solace in smaller power structures, right? Like, in mm-hmm. power structures... Uh, and like building bonds between people at, whereas like you know in this they're cast out from society in Midsommar she kind of like is cast out she's, by society too yeah in Midsommar she's cast she out by nothing. society she has, she has no nothing family. yeah 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 and so in both of these instances you're kind of embraced you know a new paradigm right yeah I love that when the uh, the mother in the witch first suggests the idea of witchcraft amongst their children uh, to Ralph Ennison's character. He just sort of scoffs at it like, oh, witchcraft. Like this guy <laughs> was so puritanical that the other Puritans weren't enough for him. He had to go be <laughs> yeah. like super Puritan in the woods. And yeah, like yeah. someone suggests witchcraft to him. He's like, oh, witchcraft, what's up with that? Like, whatever. <laughs> I'm way too pious for that shit. Yeah, I think I think yeah, t- you actually I think you're actually right there James Baker. He scoffs. I think he scoffs at it because he's like, "In my fucking house, do you know how godly I fucking am?" Yeah. Like 
Well, and it takes his character a good arc to at the end when he's like, I brought this upon my house with my my um my vanity. Yeah, my pride and vanity. Yeah, fuck that guy. My dad. Way to go, dad. I mean, shout outs to Ralph Innocent for chopping wood, man. Like <sighs> that guy, there was so they were so good on wood. Hey, that was that was one of my favorite like weird little details of it was like, oh, he goes out and chops wood when he like you know, is pissed off or like, you know, feels like he's not pious enough. And then it shows the giant fucking wood pile. And it's like, mm-hmm. oh, well, and then okay, that's, yeah, I get you. that's what kills him is all the wood falls on him. <laughs> and one, one of the things that uh, he yeah. says, and they, they, they hint a few times at the idea of conquering the wilderness. And I think that's, that's very, very much part of that colonial uh, patriarchal like attitude. Like, like we this we're gonna find this wilderness and conquer it. We're gonna take it over. We're gonna make it ours. Yeah. Um, he yeah. he says at one point like we will conquer this wilderness. It will not conquer us. Um, yeah, he says that. And as as he feels himself losing power against the struggle against the woods, against the darkness, against the things that he has not curated for his own family. He is like going and exercising his own power by chopping wood. Like this is the thing that he knows that he can do to like exercise power. So that he's going and that's like his own little conquering of the wilderness right there. And in the end, the wilderness conquers him. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, it's like you hit on it. I think exactly. Like it is the fact that he just keeps chopping wood is an expression of his own powerlessness. Like it's the only thing that he can do correctly. And that's why he gets so fucking mad at Thomason when she throws it in his face. Yeah. Yeah. She's like, go chop some wood. Why don't you dad? (laughs) But yeah, Ralph Anderson kind of gets his ass kicked by that goat they hired. Yeah. I wonder why that is. (laughs) (laughs) So no, but for real. So the goat's name was Charlie. The goat. There was only the one goat. goat? There, Black Phillip. Well, I mean, yes. We're all talking about <laughs> Black Phillip. But only, only one, one goat played Black Phillip? Yeah, only one goat played Black Phillip. Why was that? Because Feels like you should have a couple. The other goats hated them. I don't remember actually why the other goats oh. fell through. No. But did they have a couple of goats to begin with? They tried to, but they only ever got one. Hmm. Interesting. And the handler and Charlie... Uh, the handler said Charlie was the most cinematic goat she had ever met. The most cinematic goat she ever <laughs> I just like, I'm, I'm picturing like a Westminster Kettle Club <laughs> fucking like, oh, yes. Look at that. Look at it go. I mean, not wrong. Like, it's such a cinematic goat. Um, <laughs> As goats go. Back back when uh, you know in whenever it was the '30s when, when Passion of Joan of Arc came out, there was a, a famous piece of movie, movie criticism which said that through this film we have rediscovered the human face, like we are reintroduced to what a human face is through this film. And I would argue that through the witch we're reintroduced <laughs> reintroduced to the goat face. We yeah. now know what a, like <laughs> oh, a yeah. goat face is and can be. I think people have some misconceptions about what goats look like. I think they can't (laughs) quite picture a goat eye. Listener, try to imagine a goat eye. If you're not imagining a really weird horizontal pupil, you are doing it wrong. To be fair, I feel like a lot of people listening have probably just watched this movie. That's fair. And they might be able to imagine the goat eye. But either Uh, way, I mean, without this movie, no fucking clue over here. 
I, I am interested on how similar that goat and octopus eyes look. Maybe because there's a creepy extra-worldly intelligence. Oh, God, please. Well, you know, Satan, Cthulhu. I was going to say, Cthulhu? I mean. Cthulhu what? Cthulhu. Are like octopuses basically the, the goats of the sea in that they are the symbol of Satan? They should be. I, I think like so. That. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it works. They both have cultists. It's true. It's true. It's true. But so Charlie um, fucking just... hated Ralph Anderson. Did he now? He sent Ralph Anderson to the ER three times. and Well, so shit. Apparently the go only had two modes and it was sleeping or fighting Ralph Anderson. Those are good I modes. Mean, to be fair, Ralph Anderson's character kind of makes me want to fight him. <laughs> yeah. So, so the... The incident that I wrote down was um, Charlie rammed his serrated horns into Innerson's ribs, dislodging a tendon. And Innerson recalled, everything hurt. I spent the rest of the five-week shoot on painkillers. I think that really comes across in his performance. (laughs) I thought that was pretty good. Um, And so, because they only had the one goat, and Charlie fucking hated, you know, one of the main characters, um, they had to use some puppets. And so they had to have this intensely expensive full body goat puppet made. Mm. And so that's the puppet we see in the stable when they get nailed into the stables overnight. And I remember that like that scene with the goat. He's like like chuffing and, and pretty fun. <laughs> and it, it's a really good puppet. Yeah, and then, if that's a puppet, it's very puppet. well done with the breathing and yeah. the looking. I mean, that's some Jim Henson level shit for sure. It really was. And then they also used the puppet to ram him right at the end. And and so I just love that like all other good horror movies that I love that they stuck to the practical practical effects and they didn't like chintz out and be like, well, just 3D that um, or CGI because you can tell the difference. You can tell the difference if it's, you know, if the actors are actually interacting with something that's there or not. Yeah, 100 uh, percent. Well, I, I do love that they had said that uh, they had tried to get three goats one that was like good at emoting and one that was good at standing and one that was good at charging or bucking rather. And then they mm-hmm. ended up just ending up with the one goat who's really good at two things. But I, I feel so <laughs> bad for this like production team because they had to deal with weather and animals and children, which sounds like a uh. trifecta of terrible. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and to think about it, like, bad weather was what they were shooting for. So even when they were waiting, they had to be in shitty conditions. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Sorry, um, it's not weather, quite yeah. shitty enough. It needs to be shittier. I will say, though, how many movies do you know that have the the two, the main feud between cast members is between the male adult lead and a goat. <laughs> and a goat. The male adult lead and Ralph Ineson, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> yes, but that's what I was aiming for. Isn't that yes. a kid? I love that. I, I think the cast thought they were making a very different movie than the, what was actually <laughs> being made. Like to hear them talk about it, like they thought they were mostly making like this family drama and that, you know, maybe there was suggestion of this like supernatural stuff, but that wasn't really the focus. Uh, no. And then it came out and they're like, oh, this is this is different. Uh, and also, I don't, <laughs> I don't think anyone expected Black Phillip to be the star of this movie. And is that a compelling goat? It's a compelling goat. But also, if they didn't think that it was going to end supernaturally, did like none of them talk to Anya Taylor-Joy? 
because like she has very supernatural scenes in the climax of the movie did like did they just wrap Kate Dickey and Ralph Innocent and they were like, okay, bye. Now we're going to shoot all the weird shit with Anya Taylor-Joy. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, maybe. Very Which awesome. honestly is a pretty smart way of doing it if you want to like go for a certain vibe from those actors. They just wanted to keep them in the Puritan mindset the whole time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That Puritan <laughs> mindset. That Pilgrim's they Progress were, mindset. Yeah, they were making a period piece for sure. Yeah. And... You guys are in a period drama. You are in a cult horror movie. exactly and somehow out of that we get one of the most pinnacle folk horror movies ever that might be that might be all i got guys you got some final thoughts do we have any final thoughts for the bitch any final thoughts the rabbit the rabbit the the fucking creepy ass rabbit how satan wasn't everything satan wasn't everything satan's all around us to be fair it was a hair uh, yeah. Thank you, Justin. And the hair was the best behaved of all the onset animals, as it turns Aww. out. I read that too. But really? Yeah. so cute. With a cute little nose making a little I think, face. I think the raven was also pretty well behaved, according to internet trivia. Yeah, I mean, it very nicely ate Kate Dickey's boob off. Owie. Right on cue. Witch's teat. <laughs> right on cue. Hit its mark every time. Oh. It's uh, you notice that that detail in it too where the night before right she's breastfeeding the raven then the morning she has the blood stain yeah on all her in her shift, shift. Yeah, yeah but then yeah, her yeah. hair covers most of it so mm-hmm. the rest of the characters are unaware of it yeah i also I really like, like that. that right there should be a pretty big red fuck off flag to anybody who's like well it's all happening in their head well if it's all happening in her head why is her boob bleeding well, you see, she was loose. No, I got no nothing. you got nothing. You got fucking nothing. <laughs> she um, was breastfeeding a raven, and that's normal. That's a normal <laughs> behavior for a pilgrim woman. Yeah. Twins are scary. Rabbits are great. Goats are the best. Fucking ravens. Fucking yeah. ravens. I kept wondering, there are so many, like, art historical references all through this movie, like, there are lots of sort of very specific religious painting poses that they put them in. Like there is a really classic Pieta format. They do a really classic like Last Supper gesture at one point. Uh, mm-hmm. They like there's a really like solid like crucifixion thing. I keep wondering when she is doing the like breastfeeding raven scene if that there is a like art historical reference in there somewhere that I'm like not quite catching. Like some Virgin Mary imagery that they're trying to like capitalize on there's gotta be because it's it yeah. is so statuesque i can't imagine that there's not a reference point isn't there it. like justin you're the art historian among us um, is isn't there a shot of anya taylor joy laying in like a field with like something in the distance that's sort of like that andrew wyeth painting not that i caught but probably um there's- Kind of by the I, brook, I, I think is what you're thinking. Kept of. seeing uh, Rembrandt throughout, and I thought at one point that I saw like a specific reference to uh, the Gleaners by Millet. So I was looking mm. it up, and I'm like, "Oh, did anyone else? Did anyone else see this? Like, was I? Am I making things up?" And I didn't see anyone else mention the Gleaners, but multiple people saw uh, a an almost direct reference to uh, Angelus, which is another Millet painting when they're mm-hmm. having the funeral. Um, oh. oh shit! Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think they're right. like, I one of the things that I just really love about this filmmaker is he's just so 
image driven and he's mm. taking a lot of you know images that we know like images that are historical or that we like think that we know and compound and compounding them in such a way and collaging them in such a way that it feels mm. entirely new and modern yeah no he's really really fucking good at that he like going back to the top of what we were saying or i guess what i was saying i don't know his eye for detail and his the depth of his influence i guess is what i'm trying to get at like okay. both in the images that he composes with his shots and in the sort of like references that he makes in his writing is really really compelling and robert eggers fucking rules be my best friend yeah (laughs) yeah he's clearly a very inspired person so one of the one of the things i saw that this movie was very referenced from was a short story called the witch of edmington and it's essentially you, you can correct me we don't have that letter in my dialect edmonton so anyways, it's this cool play. But in, in, in it, they're just really terrible to the main character and accuse her of being a witch until in the end when she's finally <laughs> offered the option to become a witch. She's like, yeah, everyone fucking sucks. Of course, yeah, I'm going to do that. Yeah, be witch. I'm going to do that because you guys been saying it. Might as well do might it. Be fucking witch. And, I, and I think that's cool that he he has gone to great lengths to he's he's making movies about things he has come across that he loves he puts them together in a way that is completely coherent and composes them in a way that does make them feel brand new, but also totally authentic. Yeah. I love that Like the first version of this script was basically all cut and pasted from existing historical documents. And then he spent something like three years studying the grammar of, you know, the... the uh, seven or you know whatever 17th century pilgrims to like figure out like what their language structure was so that he could you know how you do it's to string it all together yeah so weird yeah yeah yeah. Uh, also i was i remember like going on a deep dive of the press that they did for this and there's an interview like one of those like you know awful press junket interviews with um robert eggers and part of the cast and he talks about how he was the kind of kid who would like dress up as a pilgrim for Halloween every no. year. And like he was always the the kid who was like weirdly obsessed with history. And I was like, oh, yeah, yeah, no, that fucking completely scans with your uh, film <laughs> output. <laughs> so you guys were like soulmates separated at birth? We don't talk about our personal lives on this podcast. <laughs> what you and I do. <laughs> What you and I do what in the privacy of I our watch. own home <laughs> is no one's business. What you do alone while I watch. Because <laughs> it's weird. Anyway. <laughs> uh, who do you guys think this movie's for? Us. Besides us. <laughs> History nerds probably could get into this. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know. Did you read The Cheese and the Worms in college? This movie's probably for you. <laughs> Seems uh, like it's for, for art people, too. I yeah, I mean, I like Justin that. made a fairly cogent point that it's for <laughs> art nerds. I would say if you are a millennial woman trying to reconnect with your fifis, mm-hmm. this movie's for you. I'm sorry, with, with, with your what? <laughs> what, one more time can we revisit that with your with one your, more time for the for with feeling with your with your feelings you know if you, uh, if you just want to know what with your fifis. if you want to know what your vagina feels like real good you should watch this movie i do often wonder i i constantly <laughs> wonder 
Uh, this movie's for the Orb Gang, for sure. Orb Gang, were you a Marianne Williamson stan? Have I got a movie for you? <laughs> so, so, now that we've established no, wait, Justin, the movies... Justin, who's this movie for? Justin. Oh, uh, I mean, nerds, obviously. I mean, we're all... People, I think we're, we both... I, uh, I think, that's every I think movie this we movie watch. is for people who really love an extremely slow pan followed by an extremely quick cut. <laughs> yeah. Do you like watching a dolly zoom that takes five minutes? <laughs> Hell yeah. The music is very dramatic. We didn't talk about the sound at all, but like, whoa. Yeah, sounds great. Like the ominous music building while it. staring at trees for like a 30 second count. And so yeah. if you like David Lynch movies, you're going to like you're not this wrong. One. Yeah, no, that, that checks out. How much do you like Twin Peaks? <laughs> How much would you like Twin Peaks to be set 300 years ago? <laughs> Actually. I mean, yeah, I'd, I'd yeah that's for, pretty I'd much be, what this is. I'd be here for I that. I mean, I don't disagree with that. Yeah, I don't disagree <laughs> with that at all. So, who's Agent Dale Cooper in that? Like, how do you? What's the Ralph conceit? Edison. Well, no, 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 I mean, like disregarding the characters in The Witch, like what's the conceit that gets 17th century Dale Cooper to the town <gasps> of Twin Peaks? Um, so no, Twin Peaks starts. Is he a witch finder? Twin Peaks starts. Is Dale Cooper a fucking witch finder? <laughs> no, I don't think that fits. No, I think it's just the the Puritan church. They go to check on them Is and then an they have to figure out what happens. Well, yeah, he was the hair. Oh, oh, hell yeah! For it. So, is this movie a horror movie? Yes. 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 Uh, yeah, I think it's a pretty unequivocal yes. Like, it's, okay, so why? So that. That's so this movie, right, right? Why is important? So yeah, yes, this movie is a horror movie. Child um, butter. Sorry. Yeah, I you make baby butter, <laughs> baby but butter. in like baby the grossest. That's why it's a horror movie in the grossest non-sexual way. Like, oh yeah, or maybe a little Shit. sexual. I guess no. we're just not doing phrasing. But, like phrasing. Like, we're not doing uh, that joke anymore. Um, <laughs> yep, that too. She steals a kid and pounds him into paste and then covers her broom in it. Or herself and then her broom? I don't know. I was a little... No, it's that's how... So that's, that's a witch lore. So yeah. the way witches fly is they rub the blood of babies on their broom. It's like and part of the potion, right? Put it in their vid- it's the their badge. So yeah. Here's the part of Harry Potter Phrasing. that J.K. Rowling yeah, J.K. Is Rowling about to, <laughs> she's about to come on Twitter and be like, "Oh, by the way, Harry always had to murder a baby and then rub it in his vag." And also, <laughs> I hate trans people because I'm J.K. Rowling. Yeah, she's. What's well, do you do you remember what J.K. Rowling said? Like, oh, there were actually all religions represented at Hogwarts. Oh except yeah, Wiccans. Yeah. <laughs> there were no Wiccans, <laughs> but there were all other religions. Right. Also, wizards would just shit everywhere. Yeah, they, they would magic shit the shit walking, away. And then they... magic the shit away. <laughs> J.K. Rowling, nobody is wrong asked with her? you for any of this. God, oh, shut what? the fuck Damn up, it. you weird oh. turf liberal. Like... Uh, so, yeah, this movie is a horror movie. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thanks, J.K. Ouch. J.K. <laughs> IMDb classifies it as a uh, drama mystery. Woo! Well, I mean, there you have it, guys. We're wrong. I'm not. Shit. I'm not entirely sure what the mystery is in in their eyes. <laughs> the mystery is uh, the friends we made along the way. 
<laughs> Where did that hair go? The monsters <laughs> and us all. It does so it does violate a couple of the rules I've been trying to develop. So right, there's there's not much of any power struggle in this movie. It's just that he's bad at everything. Man versus nature. Man versus nature, yeah. And nature's just way better. Oh yeah, for sure. Always. So it's really more of an anti-transcendentalist movie than anything. <laughs> Whoa. Either way, the family's dead and they deserved it. Yeah, they absolutely deserved really it. Thomason burned rules. her uh, twin brother and sister and danced around it. Um, as and then she should have. As you yep. shook, fucking should. Shits. Fuck them kids. She had the taste of butter and a pretty dress and she saw the world. Like she lived fucking, deliciously. She, you know, she Nailed got it. her fucking groove back. It's really Fuck all yes. any of us. Yeah, it really is the story of just how Thomason got her groove back. It's true. <laughs> you go, girl. <laughs> um, you fucking go. Per your rules of what horror is, if something is primarily fantasy, does that preclude it from being horror? Like, is no. is there a fundamental difference between fantasy and horror? I think the same kinds of fears um, can play out in fantastical settings as they can in real world settings. Yeah. Like, I think the things that come to mind are like Neil Gaiman, I guess. Right. Like, so the ocean at the end of the lane is just as scary as the parts of Neverwhere that are scary. Right. Like, I don't think either of them are purely horror, but you know what I mean? I guess I think I also think that, like, at least in fantasy, it's more likely to be more than one thing than it is to be. A, I don't think I've ever read something that's purely fantastical horror. Um, well, like, if I think about, like, especially if you think about it in, like, a context of fairy tales, like, if you sure. saw or heard the story of Hansel and Gretel, you probably yes, wouldn't call... That movie is coming out. I was going to say, you, you probably <laughs> wouldn't think of Hansel and Gretel as a horror story, though Oz Perkins may prove me wrong on this one. <laughs> yeah. Well, aren't like, didn't he write those? Uh, I haven't read those original like Grimm's fairy tales in a million they're years. They're horrific. I but mean, like, they, they are pretty horrific. If, the original if serves. The, the original story of The Little Mermaid is the most troubling, disturbing thing I've ever read in my life. Yeah, Word. there's a lot of it's terribleness. It's really, really scary. I, I forget the specifics, but it's like part of her becoming human and being able to walk on land is that she also, uh, it feels like she's like standing, walking on needles the entire time. Right. Yeah. yeah. Like it's just really terrible shit. Yeah. Well, and I think to be a good horror movie, there needs to be some amount of separation. And, and we usually achieve that with a degree of fantastical elements. But but I do like that point of like what is the line between a fairy tale and a horror story? Well, and I, I think that folk horror as a genre, it, it's really going to like get into those interstitial places. Like it's really going to like straddle like fable and fantasy and horror because the like the things that you think of you know folk tales generally are operating on a different level than a horror story is. Um, right. And when you try to bring those elements together, I think you end up with weird combinations thereof. Yeah. And, and it also makes me think of, you know, what's the line between like tragic horror story and cautionary tale, you know, because this might be a cautionary tale. I mean, I don't ever want to move to the woods. Yeah, so. no, don't move to the woods. And Shit. on that note. <laughs> uh, I think, Justin, 
I'm pretty sure you you do a thing. Uh, Would you like to share a thing that you do with I know our you're, you're a the people at home of a of a of a cool blog thing? Yeah, uh, well, you can follow my own illustration work on either uh, J Divine Illustration on Facebook or J Law Dev on Instagram. Uh, but I also curate a weekly fan art blog called Drawn to Culture on both Facebook and Instagram. Uh, so if you have interest in seeing uh, illustrators like myself and, and others uh, illustrate things that are worth your time weekly, tune in to yeah. Drawn to Culture. And, you know, you've been listening to another episode of What's Wrong With Us. You can listen, like, and subscribe on Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, or your favorite podcatcher. You can follow us on Instagram or Twitter at What's Wrong Pod or on our website, What's Wrong With Us.xyz for news and updates. For all our extras, including our episode on People's Temple, uh, check us out on Patreon, patreon.com slash What's Wrong Pod. And un- until next time, What's, what's Wrong With, with you? Us? Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yay. What's Yay. Wrong With Me? <laughs> what I is wrong with you, Justin? It's probably mass hysteria. I'm still thinking about those <laughs> symptoms. Cut that. There's a good amount that'll be cut. Oh, yeah, we're fine. We're fine. Not the part where we talk about the God Cinematic Universe, though. No, the God Cinematic Universe. Phase one was the Israelites, I think. Phase two. Yeah, Moses, uh, Moses. is basically the Iron Man of the God Cinematic Word. Universe.